HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of the next episode of Meat and 3, our weekly food news roundup. We're fresh off our trip to Slow Food Nations in Denver, a festival that brought together advocates to discuss the future of food. And this week, we're bringing you a special episode inspired by the new Equity, Inclusion, and Justice Manifesto released by Slow Food USA. If we're going to solve food security, we need to say these people have a right to good, healthful food. But we have to do that in a way that kind of insulates this system from the vagaries of the market. Because when you're at a table with somebody, you recognize their humanity. And when somebody cooks for you and serves you food, in a way they're saying they care about your survival. How can we put things into our own hands and have the people of Puerto Rico gain real access to healthy local foods? Listen to Meet and 3 this week for our highlights from Slow Food Nations. Available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from roughly 12 to roughly 12.45 from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. <laughs> Joined as usual with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. How you doing, Stas? Good. Yeah, got Dave in the booth. Good. Yeah, good? Good. Yeah. Yeah, calling all of your questions to 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. Nastasia, uh, I am decidedly getting old. Yeah. Uh, so like, yeah, yeah, I mean like, you know, you know, age ain't just a number. I was on bike today. I was biking across the bridge. On bike. On bike. I was biking across the bridge. It is hot and nasty outside. I'm wearing, of course, all black because I'm going to the bar after this and our uniform is all black. I'm going over the Williamsburg Bridge, the wind blowing in my face. That's good at least. Well, no, it's like pushing me. Hot going, wind. Hot wind, like trying to stop me acting mm-hmm. as an air brake. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, you know what? I could use an extra gear on my bike. Huh. Yeah. We're getting old. Because I only have the one gear on my bike. Uh-huh. And I was like, you know, who needs, who needs more gears? What are you? What's wrong with you that you can't make it over the bridge with your puny legs? Yeah. And I was going over the bridge. I was like, you know what? I don't have anything to prove. I could use another gear on this thing. <laughs> so are you going to put a gear on? No. Uh huh. No. That would require me doing. That was doing, anticlimactic. That would require me doing something. Yes. Doing something. You mean like dropping it off at a shop? 
Whoa, 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 dropping off a shop. Since when do I have he anyone do anything would for do me? do it himself. Yeah, yeah, I know. You know, the last time, every, every time I have somebody do something for me, how does it end up? Not the way you want it. Right, wrong. Here's the thing. I'm okay with, like, I'm okay, I'm actually not okay, I'm really cheap, as Nastasia knows, but, like, if I spent money and, like, the stuff came back to me, like, better than I could do it, I'd be like, wow, you know what? That was worth it. <laughs> but there, it's rare. It's so rare. Yeah. Nastasia, t- tell me about it. Like, when you spend money on other things for your business, for a pasta flyer, mm-hmm. How often are you like, that was money well spent. That person did an excellent job. It's not the money. It's giving it to somebody, to an employee to do. And then you're like, oh, my God, I got to do it over again. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah. You got to do it yourself. Well, but. What? Tell everybody how great my hospitality skills are. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so Nastasia, <laughs> by the way, ex- ex- existing conditions, the bar has now been existing f- for uh, this is our third week of existence. Uh, I took uh, a couple hours off on Sunday. Whoa. I, you you know, don't deserve that. I, yeah. I did not do that for a while. You you never left. I saw you leave the business. You were here when the business was open. Yeah, no, but I didn't take time off. I was only here. Okay, so I saw my son for two hours on <laughs> Sunday, and I don't feel bad about it. <laughs> Literally, it's the only hours sure that we have been open that. that I wasn't at the space. Yeah. Like, including prep. Okay, talk about my hospital. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Less about me making fun of you and more about me. Uh, <laughs> so, like, everyone knows that Nastasia is, uh, uh, hates people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and is mean to people, right, Dave? Um, yes. I mean, yeah, from what I can say, yeah. I mean, I mean, what, I, what I'm saying is, is that... I only see her an hour a week, though, so... What I mean is, is that her only joy in life is to extract pain from others. <laughs> well, that's usually you, so that's not really the full picture. What do you mean? Extracting pain from me? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's just because she's around me more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right, whatever. and I'm only around you two together, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, point being, uh, that, you know, and I've worked with her at many, many, many events. Many many events where she is intensely, uh, uh, what's the word? She's like, does not care, but like actively does not care about the welfare of the people at the event, right? Actively doesn't give a crap whether you enjoy what she's doing or not. Really, beyond could care less about whether you like the cocktail or food or whatever into... I would, I was, what's the word? Active indifference, yeah. I would say. Mm, yeah. uh, you know, bordering on smoldering hatred. Bordering on hostility. Yeah, 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 right. Bordering on hostility. And this has been my experience over the past 10 years of ten, how... It's going to be 10 next month, and we're going to effing do something. Yeah, what are you guys doing for your anniversary? I want to go to the Champagne Lounge at the top of Rockefeller Center. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah? You, got, you guys going to go for dinner and dancing? Uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's not going to happen. Anyway, uh, so point being that I was like, Nastasia is terrible at service because in general she is, right? Also, terrible at being a judge of whether she's going to be good at something. But Nastasia, <laughs> after going to friends and family, was like, there's no way they're going to pull out of this in two days because this is such a, this is such a poop toss. Yeah. Dave, stop clicking that pen. Yeah. But we did. We the did listeners pull out complain. Of it. Already? Wow. Wow. Anyway, uh, so... Nastasia, and it pains me to say this, <laughs> came in and did two shifts on the floor, and she did a good job. A great job. She did a good job. 
I was happy to have her there. That's so nice. Why? Just describe. How did she do it? First of all, she shows up day one. She, there's a lot of things. I mean, look, if, if, we're gonna, if you want me to be negative, because I, clearly you do. <laughs> no, she, I just she tries to serve someone a cocktail to go. Oh. Like getting rid of our liquor license. <laughs> no, no, no. Bottle cocktail. Because we, we give wine, closed wine, at our restaurant. You're not allowed or to do Ramona. that. Yeah, we looked it up. We'll, we can talk after. You're definitely not... Uh, you're not a wine store, and I am definitely not. Like on Seamless, you can put your beer. In if you your... sell it and you open it and they buy it and they want to take it home and then it's in a closed That's container. That's illegal. Yeah, no, she's saying it's not been opened. It's not. No, been you're definitely not allowed to sell an unopened bottle of wine to somebody. You you can sell you if you if they open the bottle and they want to take the rest home and they cork it and take it home. I think that's fine. But you're what? De- up the rules. You're definitely not a well, wine store. Seamless. That seems backwards. If you though. want a beer with your order, you can. We put a look. Beer. I don't know how seamless does like the illegal crap that they do, like. But that like think about it this way: Are you a wine store? Can you have like just like a shelf of wines, and someone walks in and says, "Hey, I would like to buy wine from you," and you say, "Okay, here is some wine to take to a party." No, you're not allowed to do that. That is. What are we illegal in the state of New York? You know what I mean? You can't do it. Anyway, I mean, I would love to do that. There's nothing I would love more than to sell cocktails to people so that they could go drink them on other people's property. But I can't do it. I'm not allowed. Uh, what was the other thing that was hilarious? So she shows up, Dave. You'll appreciate this. She shows up in the you know requisite black uniform dress. Dress. Dress is not the uniform though. Just black. Black dress, yeah. No, not black dress. Black. I wore a black dress. You wore a black dress, but that's not the unit. Whatever, anyway. He's like, I need a notepad. Like, I had two parties. They saddled me with two parties, one of 15, one of what your mom was like, you know, 28. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're going to have to memorize yeah. the order. Whoa, 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 whoa. So she's like, I need a notepad. We're like, fine, okay, notepad. She's like, I'm going to want both hands free. I'm going back to get a fanny pack. It was a black fanny bag. Literally goes out, shows up, wears a fanny pack. Wait, how does the fanny pack substitute for the notebook? No, no, she can put the notebook. Hands-free. I can carry more things. Oh, because you're wearing a dress and you didn't have pockets. Okay, I got you. Yeah. 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 And then the next day I wore pants and it was fine. Mm, Crazy. All right. So, uh, also, have you ever noticed, Nastasia, that you do a good job on the things you care about? in a restaurant, and then the other stuff falls by the wayside. Isn't that true of everything, though? Yeah, but... what? And we see this at events all the time. It's like the things that like impact on, on the guest experience, you just don't think about because you don't really think about them. Like To this day, three weeks later, there's still no signs on our bathrooms saying what the bathroom is. And so like 30 times a day, mm-hmm. I'm like, the bathroom's down there. And listen to this. This is the exact language I use. Both of those doors are bathrooms. The one that is uh, straight ahead is intensely loud, and we don't know how to fix it. Now, think about that. (laughs) How many times have I said to guests, hey, those two things that are unlabeled, which we could easily label, are bathrooms. And the furthest one has a speaker, which is so loud as to be unpleasant. Probably in some way. I mean, we could just shoot it. (laughs) Like, I I I could just take a spike... And run it straight through that freaking speaker and be done with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just obliterate it. Just yeah. wipe that speaker off the face of the planet. Yeah. But yet 
I don't because if I have 35 seconds, I'm going to make more strawberry juice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, it's weird. And like it, the other one, the one that I do care about is like, and I, I looked at it, uh, there's a table here uh, in front of us at Roberta's, Four Top. Stop with the gun. That has an intense wobble to it. It's like super wobbly. Like the table in front of us, every time this lady lifts her elbow, the table moves like an inch. Yeah. And it makes me so angry to have tables wobble. And yet the floor in our restaurant, in our bar, is so uneven that every table wobbles. And then when you fix it, if they move it like half of an inch, it wobbles again. And do you know how it hurts me inside to see people with wobbly tables? So I tried to move to as many tripods as possible because everybody knows God invented the tripod so that it couldn't wobble. Tripods can't wobble. But what's the problem with the tripod, Anastasia? I don't know what a tripod is. You don't know what a tripod is? You know what a pod, a foot? Tripod, three feet, three yeah, foot. Yeah, no, I know it, yeah, but what's a tripod table? A table that only has three supports on the ground. Okay. They're inherently stable. Okay. Like a tripod. Okay. Because you can't make a three-legged thing wobble. Okay, so what's the problem with it? The problem is, is that on the side that has uh, the one leg sticking out, if you lean on the corner hard, you'll flip the table, right? So it is stable, but unstable on that side. So here's my idea. You ready for it? You ready? Ready? Okay. So you get a tripod table, and then off of the so the the two the two sides of the of the bottom of the triangle are towards two corners, and then you have the centerpiece going off towards one side, right? So now you have a big tipping moment there on those two corners that are on that one side. You understand what I'm saying? You see where I'm going, Stas? Okay. okay, okay. Now, off of that tripod, you have little outriggers that come out, but don't touch the floor. They hover like an inch above the floor. Normally, sucker won't tip at all. But then if someone's like, yeah, I'm going to get up, and then they press on the side of the table, yeah, yeah. it'll just move like, like a half of an inch until that outrigger hits the floor and then the table's like, I got you, drunk D-bag. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Did somebody flip a table? Oh, not yet because we didn't have tripod. We don't have many, oh. many tripod tables because we're worried about some drunk person flipping the, flipping the table. What do you think? Yeah, it's a good idea. Or someone out there, they make these things, Nastasia, called auto levelers. Garbage. Garbage. Whoever invented that thing and sold it to people should be taken, like, out behind the woodshed. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, they, they just don't work. So yesterday, I was on the beach, and I was enjoying myself, and then Booker calls me from work. My son, Booker. <laughs> from work. From work. And, you know, there's, like, five managers there needed me. Uh-huh. And was like... By the way, Booker refers to Nastasia Lopez as Roz from Monsters, Inc. <laughs> what? Do you got your papers, Mike Wazowski? It's so hard to be angry when he says that, but it's so funny. Um, So he calls me and he said, a man just said, you're irritating me, kid, a customer. And he said, it made me really sad. And I was like, it's okay. Old men are mean sometimes. All the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. But what about my, that makes me sad. I'll tell, actually, I won't tell Jen. That'll make her sad. Yeah, don't. I'm not going to tell Jen. So, but, Hopefully so you, she never listens to the show. Oh, of course not. I can't she, imagine why she would. I mean, she hasn't seen me in the past month, so maybe she would listen to it to remember that she has a husband. But like, uh, <laughs> other than that... Uh, this is not the way she would want to remember you, though, I would think. What? 
I'm not being mean. No, I just mean in general. Oh. Uh, <laughs> your, your cooking issues persona. My cooking issues. There is no cooking issues persona. No, that's like, true, actually. <laughs> I'm like this all the time. Anyway, right, Styles? Yep. Anyway, so my favorite Booker at Work story is this one. Uh, Nastasia tells me that, first of all, Nastasia, to troll me, makes Booker need to get to work at 8 a.m. to sell ice cream sandwiches <laughs> on the street, even though it guarantees I will never see anyone in oh, my house. Oh, oh, oh. Anyway, so like, so she has him out there selling ice cream sandwiches, and uh, Gothamist wrote him up, put a picture of him oh, on, the, yeah. on the internets, which I thought was very nice. Yeah. And then... Uh, Nastasia's standing next to him texting on her phone as she does, like, for instance, I don't know, on this radio show. And <laughs> this very moment. At this very second. Actually, she's not right now. She's just sitting down. I think she's too tired from driving to text. Her, her yeah. driving, yeah, she's yeah. too zoned out. But um, he goes, hey, get away from me. You're hurting my business. <laughs> so proud. So good. Yeah, so boy. I'm like, you know what? You know what, son? Love you. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. a boy. Here we go. Focus we ha- on the bottom line. Yeah, we have a question from uh, Yvonne. He writes in and uh, he goes, I'm a bartender working in London that will be stopping in New York uh, on my way back from Tales. Oh, he's of, sitting in the, the co- restaurant yeah. right now. It's the guy in the orange shirt. Yeah. He's like, I've met Dave, me- meaning me, different times in London and Edinburgh. I was wondering if it's possible to attend cooking issues while it's being made. He's right there. I'm waving to him as I'm speaking to him, but he doesn't know. No, he's on the, they're listening live. Thing. Oh, how do they do that? I imagine. I see headphones in their ears. Oh. It's an experience I would very much value and enjoy. I don't know if Dave and Nastasia allow this. Allow what? Like, allow what? Be here, in here, or out there? I don't know. Anyway, my point being that they brought me some very nice toffee. He remembers that I like toffee. Do you like toffee, Stas? Mm-hmm. It's like English toffee. Mm-hmm. The hard stuff. Mm-hmm. You don't have enough of an mm-hmm. I mean, it's a delicious candy. Why don't we sell that stuff here? I don't know. Because we have the Werther's Originals. That's not the same! Werther's Original is, like, not even close to a real English toffee. People, any British-style folk out there, why don't we have just, like, oodles and oodles of traditional British toffee? You know what I'm talking about, Dave? Nope. Oh, my God. (laughs) Do you like caramels? Craft caramels, do you like them? Yeah, sure. Okay, imagine if they tasted better and were much harder. Would you like that? Yeah, sure. You guys are the worst. Seriously, for real. Um, uh, okay, the meatball flyer. Oh, someone wrote in about the meatball flyer. This is Ken. The meatball flyer reminds me of when I was in Brooklyn College in the late 60s and early 70s. There were two barber shops across the street from each other, not far from college. Each charged a buck and a quarter for a haircut. For no reason, one put up a sign saying haircuts 115. Shortly, uh, the other sign had haircuts at 110, down, down, down down to 60 cents and the other sign other haircut sign put up uh, uh, back to buck 25 and said we repair 60 cent haircuts you like that can I tell you a finance story real quick Mm -hmm. okay Uh, for those of you that don't know this I used to be fascinated with the history of robber barons in uh, New York financial robber barons in New York in the 1800s real wild west time here when uh, it was even easier than it is today to pay off politicians. Wait, before you go on, can you tell your story about Uncle Diamond after this? Which which story about Uncle Diamond? <laughs> the, the bank, the money. Oh, didn't I tell that on air before? No. Right, we should get to some cookies. Look up the... Uh, I, you said you sent me the old questions, and you didn't. I don't have the old questions on this, and I don't have my iPads. You look up the old questions, and we'll deal with those in a second. But to finish, 
There's a guy named Jay Gould and Diamond Jim Fisk who bought the uh, Erie Railroad in the 1800s, and it was a competitor to Commodore Vanderbilt's railroad. Commodore Vanderbilt's railroad eventually became the railroad that comes in and out of Grand Central Station that we use today as Metro North, among other things. Uh, so they were shipping cattle uh, up the line in boxcars, and so they started to have a price war. They're like, hey, Commodore Vanderbilt's like, I'm going to run these sons of, you know, sons of guns out of business. I'm dropping the price of taking a, you know, a load of cattle from like, I don't know what it was, like 10 bucks to like 8 bucks. Jay Gould comes back, you know, 7 bucks, 6 bucks. Finally, it goes down. Vanderbilt's like, I'm shipping any cattle, any cattle on my railroad for a dollar, a dollar a box cart instantly. Jay Gould and Jim Fist put their price back up to what it used to be. And Vanderbilt's like, these sons of are going to be out of business in a week. And I'm going to take over their railroad. This is how monopolies are supposed to work. This is before monopolies were illegal. Turns out, Jay Gould had bought every head of cattle on one end of the line and shipped it oh, wow. for free and made a fortune off of Commodore Vanderbilt's railroad. Ba-boom, boom. And that, my friends, is how the robber barons used to do business. Now, of course, they also crushed the little people. Okay, tell the other story. Which one? Your Uncle Diamond. Which one? The money in the bank with the ants. Oh, jeez, this is not just, cooking just, related. Just do it, it's good. Okay, okay. You got some cooking questions I for me? I sent them, I forwarded them to you. Why don't you just read them? I will. Get ready to read them. Okay, so Uncle Di- Crazy Uncle Diamond. <laughs> Crazy Uncle Diamond never had a social security number, never paid taxes in his life, kind of had jobs, uh, was like a kind of a strange kind of a, a you know, old school, like a Italian ladies man, jewelry guy. Uh, jewelry guy. So he used to do all of his work off the books because, of course, he didn't have a social security number and he never paid taxes in his life. So he always lived on the fringes of American society in Boston. And he never had a bank account because in order to have a bank account, you needed to have a social security number, right? So he goes to, he's my stepfather's uncle, he goes to uh, the aunts. His One was his sister and the other two were cousins. Th- these three aunts, Never married anyone. We called them the three, you know, you know, made uh, old maid aunts. They lived together until they died, until they all died. And they were classic old school, like Italian, unmarried. Like you know, they used to cook me like a, a pound of bacon and then fry like a dozen eggs in that pound of bacon and make me eat it all. Like old school, good stuff. Uh, and they go, they go, they're like, they're like, he's like, hey aunties, I can't get a bank account. Take my money and put it in the bank account so I can save it up and take a trip to Florida, right? So he's like giving them money, 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 all this money, all this money, putting it in the bank account. Now, the aunts also never had a job, so they would constantly steal from Uncle Diamond's safe deposit box, constantly steal from it, steal, 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 until there was like nothing left in Uncle Diamond's safe deposit box. Of course, he doesn't know because it's not in his name. He can't go get the money. So one day, he thinks he has, like, thousands of dollars in here. He's going to go have some sort of, like, you know, torrid affair in Florida. He's like, hey, Annette, I'm going to need to go to Florida. Can you go get me my money? And they're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, there's no more money left in the bank. Oh, geez, oh, my God. In the Medford Savings Bank, right? God, God was looking on the aunts that day, and right after Uncle Diamond requested his money that they had diligently stolen, right? (laughs) There was, for the first time in history, a bank robbery of the safe deposit boxes in the Medford Savings Bank, and it was one of the biggest safe deposit heists of all times. Now, here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. 
the way that the thieves did it is they is they broke into the vault, into the safe deposit vault, and they started taking the safe deposit boxes from the top, pulling them out, dumping the contents, and dropping them on the floor. So everyone on the top half of the safe deposit boxes had everything taken, and everything on the bottom half of the safe deposit boxes on the floor, right, all of their safe deposit boxes were safe because they were covered by the empty safe deposit boxes and they needed to get out of there, right? So here's the funny part. Guess where Uncle Diamond's safe deposit box was? Bottom. On the bottom. On the bottom. But he didn't know because he'd never visited it. So the aunts were like, oh, Diamond! Oh, Diamond! The safe, it's all gone! It's all gone! So that's how the aunts were saved by the people that robbed the Medford Savings Bank. That's so good. It's good times. Like, you only get that lucky once in your life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All right. Give me some food questions. Uh, Japanese knives. Did we do this one? No. Okay. Wondering... Oh, that's convenient since Corin is our sponsor today. Yeah. Wondering if you could break down recommendations on Japanese knives. I'm in Japan right now, and I'm overwhelmed by choices. What sort of style shapes do you use? A higher carbon steel. Are higher carbon steels worth the trouble? Thanks, Russ. Okay. So, when you're dealing with a... Everything depends on what you mean by Japanese knife, right? So in general, there I mean I haven't been current in a long time, but in general there are. Uh, by the way, Joel Joel Gargano stopped by with his wife at the at the place today. Anyway, uh, there are three main styles that you want to contend with. Um, I guess there are Japanese manufacturers who make traditional Western style knives, but I'm just going to talk in general. So you got your your Western style knives, which is your Germans, your French style knives. Uh, which are both different from each other. Anyway, then you have your Japanese Western knives, uh, which I find actually, like, they're nice. They have very thin blades. Um, I find them a little bit irritating because uh, they're, they don't have an even bevel on the bottom. To, like, typically, I don't, maybe they've changed some of the makers now, but typically, um, if you look at a German or a French knife, uh, both sides of the knife are beveled equally, right? So you have the angle that the, the main blade makes going down, which is very, very, very steep angle, like very steep because they're, you know, something, you know, thin. Then at the very edge of the blade where you cut, uh, it is a, mu- a much shallower angle, and that's the actual angle of the cutting edge. Now, if you were to cut the knife down the center and, and look at it, right, on, in a German uh, or a French knife, both of those bevels on both sides are going to be the same, i.e. the angle is the same. I find these to be easy to sharpen because you only ever have to remember and find one angle, and your hand can easily just find that angle and do it time and time again because eventually it will sharpen to the angle that you choose. And depending on the quality of the steel, right, you can sharpen at a steeper or steeper angle and therefore have a sharper or sharper edge. The, the danger of sharpening too steep, obviously, is that the, the edge becomes so thin and brittle that it breaks very quickly. And then you can get large chips in your blade and it becomes very problematic. Okay, uh, better steels, better and better steels uh, make things better and better. So you can get uh, thinner and thinner edges. In addition, old school Japanese knives, right, more on this in a second, have different kinds of steel so that you can have a very um, 
you can have one kind of steel making the, the, the inside of the knife, which gives it kind of toughness, and you can have a harder steel on the outside, which retains its edge better, whatever. So the, in a Japanese Western knife, you have two different, typically, you have two different bevels, right? And that's because they're a hybrid between a Japanese uh, knife and a Western knife. I find the two different bevels to be intensely irritating and without any help. Uh, because it just means I have to remember, like, wh- why would I want, like, 15%, 50, you know, 15% of the bevel on one side and 85 on the other? Or they're also specced incredibly in, a, in an incredibly irritating way. So you have, in, in a German or a French knife, you just specify the sharpening angle, right? In a Japanese Western knife, you specify the ratio between the two, and you almost never specify. So the, the bevel is 85% on one side, and you very rarely specify what that angle is, right? Um, you know, 15, 17, 18 degrees, whatever you're, you're sharpening to. Anyway, so traditional Japanese, and by the way, Japanese Western knives very can, of varying quality, but can be intensely awesome, and most people I know uh, rock Japanese Western knives. They love them. I am the outlier in this. Um, and you can also sharpen a Japanese Western knife in the Western style. You can make it into an equal bevel so if you should so choose because in general, the knife blanks are symmetric. Um, Japanese Western knives are also typically can be a hybrid between a French shape and a more traditional Japanese shape or you can get ones that are more traditionally shaped like a French knife with the, you know, the belly or, or a German knife with the belly. And anyway. Traditional Japanese knives are much thicker, so the back of the knife is much, much thicker, much, much thicker. They're heavier, and they come down uh, in a straight, heavy line, and then abruptly cut in at an angle like a chisel, and are sharpened basically 100% on one side of the knife. So they're sharpened like a chisel. I find that they are extremely sharp when they're done well, and they are extremely easy to sharpen. They are much easier to sharpen than a Japanese Western knife, and I find them much easier to touch up than a, uh, a German or a French-style knife. I love them. Now, that said, uh, those kinds of knives require uh, almost daily uh, touch-ups. So, like, if you're using a, a traditional Japanese knife, uh, I touch it up before I use it, every time I use it. Now, do I touch up my Germans and my French every time I use it? No. I touch up my German and my French knives maybe every third or fourth time that I use it. And, and it's true that it doesn't take me that long to touch up um, a, um, a German or a French knife, but the Japanese knives, the traditional Japanese knives, because of the single bevel, it's very easy to tell that you're at the correct angle and that you're touching it up properly, and it sharpens very quickly. So you just take and you make uh, the edge on the bevel, and then you turn it around and just knock the burr off, and the sucker's like, like razor sharp. I love them. Now, I have only ever owned the, uh, the regular kind of uh, carbon steel, easy-to-stain knives of the traditional Japanese, and I still like them because you, I think with a knife like this that you're intended to touch up every time you use it, they're not meant to be low-maintenance knives. So to get one that's stainless and to pretend that you're going to get good qu- cutting quality out of it if you're just going to put it in a drawer and leave it and abuse it and like not touch it up is not getting the most out of that kind of a knife. So it never bothered me that I didn't have any of the stainless or, or any of that stuff. I just got a very, from Corin actually, Dave, going back to our sponsor, like uh, their like kind of entry-level high-quality 
because uh, I didn't need all the bells and whistles or like the nicest, uh, you know, the nicest handle or anything like that or the nicest Saya cover. I got their lowest uh, level of high quality uh, Japanese traditional knives. And I would go for get a Yanagi because you will regret not having a Yanagi, which is the long slicer. Get a long one. Like, like, why the hell would you want a short slicer? Because the entire point of a Japanese slicing knife, a Yanagi, is that you take your cut in a single draw. One draw. One. Anyone, anyone who sits there sawing at fish should be punished. I don't know what kind of punishment you would give. Or tomatoes. Or tomatoes. Right. You don't like to see saw marks in your stuff, right? Nastasia, believe it or not, although she hates many things, does not hate sushi, is a connoisseur of sushi joints here in the city, goes out to sushi joints. I think it's the only thing she and Mark like to do together. I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. I mean, that's fair, right? Yeah. So, like, if someone <laughs> sat there, if you saw, like, the sushi chef, like, go back on their stroke with the Yanagi, I mean, you just get up and leave, right? You're like, <laughs> what the hell's wrong with this person? Mm-hmm. No? Mm-hmm. Anyways. So, uh, long. Right then, uh, I like uh, a Deba. I like it a lot. Uh, so that's the shorter one that it has like a like a kind of like a big belly. It's like a fish butchering knife. I use it for a lot of stuff. I like it a lot. I'd get one of those. Uh, and if you have the extra money, it's nice to have an Usuba, the vegetable knife, which looks like a cleaver but is not. That's the thing that some jackweed at the French Culinary Institute picked, took mine out of my kit, out of our uh, office, which was in it's a not garbage room. It was a garbage room, took mine out of it, used it as a cleaver, took the entire edge out of it, so it was like looked like it looked like the moon, like like half moons taken out of my edge, then put it back in my kit wet. So that it was rusted and ruined. <laughs> and if I ever find you, I will embed that knife in your forehead. Like don't why would anyone pick up somebody's knife? No idea. Especially a knife they don't know how to use. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Do you just walk out to the street and be like, oh, maybe this is a zip car. I'll take it somewhere. <laughs> no, you don't. Why would you pick up somebody's knife out of the kit? It's not like I left it on the counter and was like, oh, this person doesn't care. This is Look, every kitchen, ev- listen, people who have kitchens, every kitchen should have an assortment, uh, assortment of beaters, right? And like, by the way, when I say beater, I mean beater knives. Everyone should have some beater knives lying around. And if you don't have a knife with you, if you're not like a cook who's brought their own knives or whatever, then you got to use the beaters, right? And the cutting quality is what the cutting quality is. It's a beater knife. Nobody cares about it. That's why it's called a beater, right? But don't pick up anyone's real freaking knife, right? Uh, part of it is on you people. If you don't have beaters in your kitchen, somebody's going to sneak into your kit and take your knife. But don't ever break into somebody's kit. So evil bastards. Anyways. Uh, you want to uh, take a break yeah, and then take a call one, when we I come back? I want to say one thing. The okay. reason we don't let people in sit in on the studio randomly if they're in town is because Heritage is a nonprofit and we sell the studio time for a lot of money. Well, I we sell not, ourselves. I, I did we, not know that. Yeah. That's, that sounds like a, that sounds. So if you want to sit in the studio, talk about or ask us about how much it costs. Yeah, money talks. Mm-hmm. Wait, were you singing some sort of ACDC song? Love mm-hmm. Me for the Money? It's a good song. Money sure. talks. Back more. Cookie issues. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. 
their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan-Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's unique store in Lower Manhattan is home to perhaps the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan, plus the rarest natural sharpening stones and exquisitely designed tableware. They also host special events such as knife sharpening demonstrations and parties with New York's most famous chefs and restaurateurs. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the implicit and elegance of Japanese culture to your table, be it in your home or in the finest restaurant. For more information, visit corin.com. I think I asked you this before. Is that the molecules on that? Yeah. Yeah, of course. So, uh, some molecule, Jackie Molecules came to the bar the other day. I like the way he says Japanese. Uh, Japanese. Uh, speaking of which, you know, we use Corin's wine glasses at, at the bar. Oh, that's lovely. Because the Cocktail Kingdom does not make uh, those. Hey, you got to talk into the mic, Dave. Oh, really? Yeah, there you go. All right. So, Stas, what is your, what is your we name? We have a caller, right? Oh, we have a caller? Yeah, we do. Caller, you're on the air. Dave, it's Matt from Mystic. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Um, so, listen, I wanted to make the flat leaf for a crowd. Sure. Uh, and I wanted to see what your, I don't know how well the blender muddling goes when you scale it up. Okay. Uh, so the flat leaf is, when we made the flat leaf, I can't remember whether I used acid OJ in that or whether I used actual sour orange juice in that. We had uh, a... You said you can do either. And the, the book, basically the book says either lime juice or uh, acidified OJ. Yeah. So you definitely, with the parsley, want... Um, OJ, so you could either do acid OJ or you could get sour oranges. At uh, Booker and Dax, we put a variant of that on the menu called the Parsley Situation, which was with actual like Seville oranges, uh, and which are sour and delicious and are not that bitter. And um, because the bartenders made me do it, they put a little bit of um, a green Tabasco in it, I think was what they put into it, or some sort of green-based hot sauce. Uh, just huh. FYI. Now, uh, parsley is a relatively stable herb, so it will last uh, with blender muddling. The problem with parsley, as opposed to um, other herbs, and I've, I've noticed this, is by the way, there's a huge difference we've been noticing recently um, between uh, muddling curly and flat leaf. So all of my original recipes are made with uh, flat leaf, which even though people, some people have always said that curly parsley tastes more than, has more flavor than flat leaf, but in our experience of uh, muddling, nitro muddling, we, if you need to add more green, uh, but you don't want more parsley flavor, add curly, because it adds less of that kind of like, that bitter back that parsley has uh, versus the flat leaf. So all of my old recipes are written with flat leaf parsley in mind. The one problem with flat leaf parsley, even though it's a relatively robust herb and doesn't brown out or oxidize that quickly, so it can be blender muddled effectively, the problem with it is that it also settles out of solution much faster than, let's say, Thai basil does. Or Yeah, I uh, noticed. I made one uh, over the weekend, and I noticed that, actually. Yeah. So you have to constantly uh, resuspend it. So... Um, I have never done a test on whether the second time around it settles faster, uh, but 
mixed herbs. So I, and I, I don't know why parsley settles so much faster. Maybe it's because the leaves are so much heavier. And I also don't know whether curly leaf uh, settles less quickly than uh, flat leaf does. These are all things that bear experimentation. But the current drink we have on the menu um, at existing conditions, uh, nitro muddle drink, is with uh, celery leaves and parsley. And it does not settle out that fast, but it does brown rather quickly. I think the celery leaves must brown rather quickly because that sucker browns. I tried to keep one for an hour because we were making so many of them that it was becoming problematic for our bartenders. Um, and I wasn't able to successfully keep it for two hours. I could probably keep it for like, you know, half hour or something like this. But parsley itself should be robust. Did, have you noticed whether re, like shaking it, does it make it better or no? Uh, well, I only made a couple. I was just like uh, doing a little bit of a test batch, uh, so I made I only made two, uh, and I so I didn't really uh, a b it. Yeah. Well, what I'm saying is, is that like I would try to I would make two again, put them in a bottle, let it sit an hour, and then shake it and see whether if you shake the bottle before you pour it and shake it on ice, if it comes back. You know what I mean? Like gotcha. if it, if it comes yeah. back to where it is, or whether it's like kind of perma settled out. And the, the reason it could perma settle out is there could be something, uh, there could be something with parsley that I don't know about. I mean, I doubt it, but there could be something with parsley I don't know about where the leaves not only settle but reagglomerate, right? So if they, because Thai basil or the other basils don't settle as much, they don't ever touch each other as hard. Maybe they don't agglomerate, but if maybe if they were to settle on the bottom, they would turn into a, a puck that's harder to resuspend. I don't know. Um, right. But, yeah, I mean, it's shocking, straight parsley. It's shocking how fast it settles out, like 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, mine settled out in the course of uh, the time it took me to take, to drink the drink, and I don't take that long to drink a drink, so. Yeah. That's why uh, I can't remember in the book uh, whether or not I added any auxiliary herbs, but it helps to add um, auxiliary herbs. I've also never added any sort of stabilizer to it to try to see whether or not I could stabilize parsley. Uh, in general, you know, I've kind of shied away from putting stabilizers in drinks. I did some tests years and years ago with uh, making uh, xanthan syrups, uh, the idea being to try to, like not a lot of xanthan, a little bit of xanthan, right? Not so that it tastes snotty, but just to add a little more of a texturizing um, such that it would hold air longer to try to prolong the life of a shaken drink. And I was, shall we say, unsuccessful. Because um, what happens is, is it, the effect isn't very noticeable on the front end, but the last couple sips of the drink are clearly not as pleasant as they would have been had you not added the xanthan to it. Um, but it might help parsley settling. I don't know. I don't, these are could all. Could you do like a? Could you do like a Hustino style where you hit the whole? Like say, like you did like seven fifty of gin with the parsley and then spin it out, would that work? Well, the color, as you re probably remember, the color of it after it settles is not the greatest. You know what I mean? Um, and I don't remember how much of the flavor is present after the settling. It has a very light green. uh has a very, very light green. I can't remember how brown it is after it settles, once it's sitting in the bottle. I mean, look, everything's worth trying. Um, I have tried nitro muddling and spinning out herbs before, and I have never had a fantastic result, but I've never tried it with, let's say, excess herbs, right? Um, uh -huh. And, 
I have, I think, tried it with ascorbic acid, and it hasn't helped out much, like trying to like prevent the browning um, over time. But that's a lot with like I, most of my experiments. Exper experiments. Most of my experiments are with very fragile herbs like mint, which I just I just never can get mint to last. There's just nothing I can do that makes mint last. Fresh mint. I know that other people do it. I just I just can't do it. I've just never made something I've liked. Right. Okay, I will. Uh, I will try some things, and I'll, uh, I'll let you know how it goes. Yeah, let me know. Okay. All right, cool. Bye -bye. Thanks, man. Right, thanks. By the way, Dax was just in Mystic at sailing camp. How was it? He loved it. He learned to sail these little dinghies. Sailing He's sailing around. Fun, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Give me the next question. Okay. Um, hello, all. First, thank you for creating such an informative program. Second, I have a couple questions for you guys. Nastasia, have you Only had one? Ah, oh, Jesus. Did you see what it's like, Nastasia? Now, now that you're talking, <laughs> you see what it's like. That's okay. Nastasia, have you had to deal with a lot of sexist BS in your culinary ventures? And if so, what do you think about it? Or what do you do about it? Two, for any and all of you, I've been cooking for myself since I was went vegetarian over 16 years ago at the rebellious age of 12. This past winter, I took a personal chef gig and loved it. I'd like to expand this personal chef career, and I want to know if culinary school would absolutely require eating, tasting meat. Oh, yeah, that oh, one we yeah, answered. Yeah. We didn't answer the first part because right. you said I have too much to talk about, so go oh, for no, it. Oh, no. I just, yeah, sexist BS, yes. Uh, it's real informative their stuff from I mean I've been called the C word a bunch of times Whoa. I've who had, did that don't, don't say that, that. Um, name names I've been told Time's I've up. been asked do you are you as cold in bed as you are in person um, I've been propositioned by people we know um, yeah it sucks I've been treated differently when like there's a same question asked by a guy that I'll ask or but what do I do about it? I hold it all in so I can blackmail them someday. But you're not even doing it. You're not even I guess oh, blackmail. Yes. It's a it's a yeah. long con. It's a long it's a long game. No but yeah. so how much how much of it like is like do you see a difference between just being excluded in other words like this the blatant like i'm saying something horrible to you versus just being like excluded from the places that you should be granted entry to in other words in terms of like the seat at the table the uh, being treated as an equal etc cetera, etc cetera. like is there a difference between those two in yeah, your mind or is it all the same there's a difference between which those what's two. worse not being seated at the table i can take the like word abuse <laughs> you know so i'm not going <laughs> to name any names here but People that we all know, people that everyone listening to this knows, right? <laughs> like, uh, have said extraordinarily inappropriate things to Nastasia that she has told me about that I a hundred percent believe. Uh, and the funny thing, and not funny, but the the thing about it is that, um. Yeah, you know that that kind of stuff's not going to work on Nastasia just because the kind of person she is. Because right. she's like, what? No. <laughs> Jerk. You know yeah. what I mean? But, like, yeah. the fact of the matter is, is, like, people shouldn't have to be like you to not have that, not be affected by that stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, people shouldn't have to be Nastasia Lopez to not false way to like the ridiculous propositions. But I think the way, the way I am, like, you're always like, you're so mean. You're so like, it's the buildup of callous and like, you know, from all this crap. 
So I'd rather think, be like this than be like, eh, what did he say to me? <laughs> no, but so you wait, so you think it's just you've ingrained it into mm-hmm. your, I used to your be life, super life? Sweet. Yeah. What? Yeah. What? I was super sweet. When? Uh you're like exactly ten years ago before I started working <laughs> yeah. with you. No, more like twelve years ago. Yeah, so yeah. I just missed the you sweet. Just missed, just the missed sweet. it. Yeah. Just missed it. Yeah. Oh nice. Well you were like We were in that anti Semitic van together. I was pretty normal. Wait, what? That's how we met. You know this, Dave. I don't know this. Nastasia and I met, started working together, in fact, because we bonded (laughs) over being trapped in a van in the dark with a rabid anti-Semite. It sounds like a Seinfeld episode. It wasn't in the dark, Dave. It It was was in the morning. In the dark. dark. It was a dark van. (laughs) It was a dark van. My vision was was going dark. dark, And I was like, (laughs) what did he just say? He was busting a... He's like, I didn't know Nastasia from a, from a hot rock. And she was there and like helping me load in. And she clearly did not want to help me load in. Like Cesare Casella had invited us, who Nastasia used to work for, uh, invited us to do an event at his farm, the farm he, where he, you know, he, you know, special needs, great place, Thanksgiving farm uh, at the Center for Discovery up in Hurleyville. Great nonprofit work for, you know, uh, people with multiple disabilities, including autism. Great place. Uh, and uh, so he invites me up there, and he's like, Che Ma, Che Ma, Anastasia, Dave, he can't do anything. He can't do anything right. Go help him load. Right, basically. <laughs> yes. And so she comes in, and she's like, I got to help this freaking Jamoke, Dave, whose head's not screwed on, who I don't know, never met, load in. So I'm there. We're loading all the garbage in, and we get stuck in this van together. And she, my, my sense, by the way, this is my sense of most people, my sense is, this lady does not want to talk to me at all. She wants zero to do to me with me. She's doing this as a favor for her ex-boss, Cesare, and then I will never speak to this person again in my life. And then, and then all of a sudden, this guy, this driver, talks about how he's an ex-cop. He, oh, you know, go. got guns and all this other stuff. And he busts out of those people. <laughs> he busts out of those people on, on Jews. And I just turn around. I'm like, and then Stasi was like, yeah, yeah, that happened. You know what I mean? And that's how we met officially. Because otherwise we never would have talked again. And then we spent the next like, like eight hours at the event being like, did that just happen? (laughs) You know what I mean? That'll bring people together. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing like, nothing like a crazy person to, to bring people together. Little did I know Nastasia's own foibles at the time. And here we are, ten years later. Ten years ten later. later. And what, that doesn't which anniversary get a is that? What do you get each other? Uh, Nastasia just told you I, she's gonna. He's gonna buy me champagne. I'll buy him champagne. We'll be even. Okay, cool. Yeah, oh, great. Oh, super. Dinner and dancing. No. Never. <laughs> anyway. All right. Was that your last question? Yeah, I mean, you got time for one more. Yeah. Oh, you got time for one more? Oh, like actually, one now more. She, now she's looking it up. Like one more. I don't feel like you gave enough, uh, like, I don't think you gave enough of an answer on that about, like... I don't think women should, I think you should try to blackmail as much as you can. What the hell kind of advice is this? (laughs) Because... First of all, blackmail is, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Illegal. What? Yes, you're not allowed to blackmail people. That's not, Not like, a crime, though. Yeah. You can be charged with blackmail? I think so. No. No, Someone in the chat room. Stuff's illegal. No. Not to mention an ethical. I feel like somebody would look the other way, though, if you were, like, you know, putting up with sexist I also abuse. have a lot of crosses. Well, I have a few crosses in my wallet. Do you guys know about the sign of the cross? We talked about that on air. 
What? Have we talked about okay, the sign of the cross on air? Stepfather, go Dave. My stepfather's father, the butcher, who I've talked about on air, passed last year, and mm-hmm. uh, past means died. And um, thanks. He used to say he used to be like once he was done with someone, once someone shafted him to the extent that he's like he's like never wanted to speak to them again, never wanted anything to do with them. He would say, "That's it, sign of the cross." And he would take a piece of paper and he would draw a cross. On the piece of paper, fold up the paper, put it in his wallet, and that's it. You're dead to him. Wow. Yeah. So I told Nastasia this, and that's like her favorite thing. Yeah. But she's not as hardcore as Gerard's dad. Like she will eventually sometimes forgive and no, or no, lose no, a piece no, of paper. No, no. I've heard of something similar. Like freezing somebody out, you write their name on a piece of paper and then like put it in water, put it in the freezer and like make it oh. an ice cube. Yeah. Really? Nice. Mm-hmm. It's like some voodoo. But thing. the two crosses I had, terrible things happened to them. So it works. The other one that you have to use, the, like there's a lot of cross, there's a lot of cross things in the family. The other one is whenever someone's bothering you, you have to say "Imitatio Christi" and you hold your arms out because you're like, "Stop crucifying me." I like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a good family to be. A, it's a good family to be a part of. <laughs> All right, that's all the time because the other question is really long. What's it about? What backyard cooking equipment should they get if they buy a house? Well, if you buy a house, you should. Here's the thing. I've said this many, many times before. Um, he likes the idea of getting a walk station, Tandor. By the way, Chris Young said, uh, we have the, still have that question on pickles that we haven't freaking answered yet. I know. And Chris said, just schedule it and I'll call in. And guess what I didn't do? Schedule it. Schedule it. So maybe next week we'll schedule it. Uh, along. Who else do we have? Who do we have on the show next week? We have uh, Applewood Meat Vending Machine Man. I like that. So I'm going to look up this meat vending machine, and then we're just going to like either like or go to town on the idea he's of gonna vending. He's going to bring me- us meat. Is he, he going to bring the meat vending machine? No. Okay. Okay. Uh, so back to what you should get for your outdoor thing. What you should get for your outdoor uh, thing is as much crap as you could possibly get, right? So I ha- I don't actually use my tandoor as much as I used to, but it completely changed the way I cook. So having had a tandoor has made me, I think, a different and better cook for large parties. And I'll write about it in the book if I ever write the book, right? Stas Stas is shaking her head. Uh, But um, having a tandoor, I think, is great practice uh, for other things. I love having the tandoor. Just as physically like you want, it depends. Are are you going to cook for large groups or are you going to cook for small groups? An outdoor fryer just completely is amazing. Like having an outdoor fryer is just the best because everybody likes fried foods. Not everybody eats fried foods, but everybody likes fried foods. Do you trust someone who doesn't like fried foods and stuff? No. No, because they're stupid, right? They're bad. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, outdoor fryer. Wiley likes, he has the Cajun fryer. He likes it. My one gripe with the Cajun fryer is it does not have a uh, thermostat on it. Um, I don't know if you could retrofit it. It's dangerous to retrofit gas things, but that said, I have done it many times. Um, and having, uh, you might want to have a, a relatively small grill to work with if you're only cooking for one or two people, but having a very large grill, like cowboy style grill, I have a cheap one, which gets beat up very easily, but I got it at the home Depot for like less than, I got it for like 130 or $140. And I've cooked food for 25 people on it. Like, you know, all at the same time by using the off on off on method. I'm a big that's what the Tandor taught me. I do almost all of my grilling now with the off-on, off-on method. Whether or not I do a pre-cook or not, off-on, off-on, off-on. 
and it just makes my cooking so much faster and more consistent. Uh, so I like it. But anyway, that's what I do for outdoor cooking. We'll come back. We'll try to get Chris Young. We'll have some meat vending machines next week on Cooking Issues. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thank you.